Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. Europe takes another step towards outlawing photography, copyright protection on Flickr, and Rebecca of Flickr fame sits down with me to talk about narcissism and the self-portrait. All that and more coming up on episode number 69 of This Week in Photography. All right, and we're back for yet another episode of This Week in Photography. A.K.A. Twip. And uh, this time we finally have back on the show Mr. Alex Lindsay. Hey, Alex. I am alive. He is alive Contrary well. to uh, reports. People were saying, hey, is Alex gone? Scott's gone? What the They've hell? left us. They've left the whole <laughs> Frederick takes over hosting and, and all the heavy hitters run for the hills like a <laughs> rats from a sinking ship. <laughs> oh. No, I... Hey, I uh, oh. Alex, stop that. Uh, what was that? Oh, wait. Jocularity. I Turning apologize. the jocularity knob down. I apologize. Thank you. I'm, uh, this is how I think we're going to do the rest of the show. Um, so my name is Alex Lindsay, and uh, we, today we'll be talking about photography and in, in all of its glorious forms. Lots of interesting photography. <laughs> and, and coming up, this, this sounds like a love line thing. <laughs> Play Misty for me. <laughs> yeah, there you so, go. So, so Fred, how is, how is the new job? Uh, the new job. So for those of you who haven't been following me on Twitter, Frederick Van, uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to hit 3000. Come on. For those of you who haven't been following me on Twitter, uh, I have accepted a position with Data Robotics, makers of the Drobo. Drobo. Yeah. Who also happen to be a sponsor on this show. Often, but not today. Often, but not today. By no coincidence, Fred, Fred came on. Fred came on and said, "You know what? Uh, these guys are full of it. You know, let's, nobody let's, listens let's to just that. Pull all that advertising right now. Come on, I want to put that money into something else. <laughs> Some somewhere where it'll be useful. Exactly. No, no. So yeah, I'm taking over. I'm not taking over the company. I have joined the company as a, as a senior marketing manager um, for product marketing over there. And today marks the end of my first week. And because of you, Alex, I'm playing hooky from my job to come record. That's what I do. <laughs> come That's Twip. what I do. Yeah, pull people away from their day job. Don't they have a, a backup of you, Fred? You know, just you know, the no. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's actually there's actually four of them, but That's only three of them actually have to be in the office to actually get the work done. <laughs> so if any one of them is gone, any one of them, or if one yeah. of them breaks, there you go. You can just That's you can just I get think. rid of them and get another one and just throw them right in. Wait, I guess I took that. That's gone way <laughs> off track. <laughs> a way off track, yeah. So, no. So, yeah, I just want to put that out there, let folks know where I am. And so that just basically means that I can continue to eat and clothe myself and pay my mortgage while still working with some incredibly smart people over at Data Robotics. And yes. I'm not just saying that. They are really smart. So Smart guys. And who else is on the line? I heard the the voice of a New Yorker from by way of Canada or somebody. That, over there. That's that's what the accent sounded like. It's like Canada a, by way of New York. Yeah, a little. It's I like don't get it. I don't. I don't have an accent. But if you, uh, I don't think I have an accent. No one who has an accent says they have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think some people know they have an accent. I do not have an accent. 
Come on. <laughs> Alex, Alex, I, I missed you, you big lug. Where have you been? I you too, Steve. I've been working. I've been, I've been, we were, a lot of it, we have a lot of shoots here right now, and uh, there were some conflicts, and we actually moved the recording of the show because everyone was kind enough to let it move uh, so, that, so that I could come and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just been a heavy production schedule. That's been it. Well, glad to, to I'm hear so your glad voice. To be back. Your voice is so soothing, let me just say. Oh, thank you very much, especially what? now that I've oh, God. dropped my jocularity. And uh, I'm going to be a little more serious now. That's my. That's what I'm committed to. <laughs> this show's going downhill, man. <laughs> Who else is on the line? Who else is there? We've got uh, Mr. Aaron. Hey, Aaron, how are you doing? Oh, doing okay. Aaron, you can be more up because you got to compensate for the rest of us here. You know, I, I hate to say, but this week of all weeks has been a crappy week. So I'm, uh, I'm not <laughs> Ooh, not having to make any real effort at the. <laughs> you're you're going to tell us how it is. Why is Ron it crappy? It. Ron can't make it. You're going to be the curmudgeon today, I guess, eh? Oh uh, no, nah, I'll try not to be. No, nah, I'm <laughs> I'm certainly happy to be here. I'm, I'm happy my my link to my network link is working well enough to be here today. That's part of my frustration this week. So Ooh, it's go. been the wind's been blowing like like a hurricane for about two and a half days here in Virginia, and it's been causing me some some grief on my uh, on my wireless link. It's almost more every week. More importantly, how's the hair? Is the hair okay? <laughs> <laughs> hair is holding up okay. Aaron, it <laughs> seems like every week you have some catastrophe. Yeah, you have like the fastest. You have the fastest connection in the entire state. No, wait, but it's like, only up like ten percent of the time. There's like oh, no, floods actually, and the electricity say. goes out. He has to crank the generator up, and hackers I'm attacking you, the network. <laughs> It's not been a good few weeks. It really yeah, hasn't. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. no, my, my time is quite good. But Aaron, when I think of those stories in the Bible about you know all those locusts and all those things happening, <laughs> I, I think you because you've had a little bit of bad luck this, this past year. There's been a lot of stuff going on. Could be Virginia. Could be Egypt. Me, <laughs> yeah. he's building an ark. So we got a case. linking contest. We have. It. Are you trying to move the show along? Is that, is that what this is? I feel Let's the prodding. Move along. I feel the prodding. Yeah, laughing. Sorry. We do have a linking contest, and uh, basically, if you link to twipphoto.com, you could win one of many prize packages. So uh, go check it out. There's a lot of them there. So go. Where do they go to check it out? Twipphoto.com. Thank you. I just want to get you, you know, in there as a segue into wait, the. Wait, wait. Thing. I gotta be serious about it for a second. Twipphoto.com. Twipphoto. I, I can't do that. You know, my voice is just naturally soothing. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have the Aperture Nature Photography Contest, mm-hmm. and that is uh, it's going on again in April, I believe. So go up and check that out. Also at Twipphoto.com. Mm-hmm. So make sure to uh, go for that. What's the news? In the news, first up, um, I'm going to take these. So there's, we've got a bunch of things to talk about here, but I want to take them out of order a little bit. Um, so copyright. Uh, apparently, BBC has borrowed a copyrighted photo from Flickr. So, you know, this is interesting because in the, the guest or in the, when we get to the guest segment, the, uh, the, the guest who's Rebecca, can't pronounce her last name, Flickr photographer, uh, we were talking a little bit about copyright and Flickr and how she has sort of pulled back a little bit from posting images on Flickr. What do you guys think about just the overall you know, when you're when you're first starting out and you don't think your work's that good, and you post it up there, you might not care too much. But as the as you ramp up and get better, you might be more cognizant of the fact that someone may take your photo and put it on a billboard. What do you think, Alex? You know, for me, I I have to admit I don't put that much on Flickr. Uh, when I put something up on Flickr, I I don't assume that it'll be used. You know, but I I don't I have it kind of in a general sense. Like there's a high probability my someone might use it for something in, in the background. Mm-hmm. No one's going to use it for an ad campaign. Well, someone did use it for an ad campaign, mm-hmm. but generally no one's going to do that because there's too much risk. 
you know, to do that. If it, you know, and, and I'm generally not that. Uh, if I'm willing to put it up on the on the web, uh, you know, I don't I don't look at it like uh, I need to protect anything there because once it's there, it's there. Uh, if, if if my photo showed up on the BBC, uh, I would demand uh, a tour. I would call them and go, hey, uh, you're using my image in the background and I want a tour. Well, and pay for my round trip ticket no, for no, my I'll, family I'll for and, and everything. Really? Yeah. No, I actually got a tour of PBC. It's really cool. <laughs> so we were you're, shooting you're, there. You're too nice. You're too nice. Well, you know, because I, yeah, I was ahead. just going to say, if you copyright your stuff and then you put it up wherever it goes and uh, yeah, you hope that someone's going to borrow and I don't know where that term came from because if you've got it copywritten and uh, someone borrows your image, uh, you have some, some recourse and uh, I say borrow away and then I, I call one of Scott's lawyers and uh, <laughs> we'll see you well, on I, Judge I think Judy. the other thing is I don't usually put up a resolution that's large enough that, like if I put something up at high resolution, mm-hmm. I'm just assuming that people are going to take it. You know, and that's, you know, that's part of, I don't, you know, and, and you know, I'm I'm on the different end of that where this isn't my you know my my business is doing other things. Yeah. And generally, what I'm more interested in is the see see it getting used and getting out there. And I think that there's two different I think there's two different mindsets of people who use. I think Steve and I, in fact, represent two different mindsets of people who might use Flickr. Mm-hmm. Are people like me that are just kind of like you know our shows are you know Creative Commons. Our mm-hmm. our stuff is kind of you know we you know I'm fine with all of that uh, uh, because it's because if, if if the image is that important to me, I don't. I don't put it online. Right. And what Rebecca was saying, the, the guest, she was actually saying that <clears throat> even her low-resolution images she worries about because of all the technologies, uh, algorithmic technologies and fractal resizing things out there to take a relatively small image and make it usable. Aaron, Aaron what, do you, what do you think about that whole space? I think you guys have covered it pretty well. My, my eye keeps going to the word uh, crepuscular. <laughs> <laughs> that appears in the in that the register some we're linking to. <laughs> is, is that dirty? <laughs> My eye sees craptacular every time I look there, but it says uh, crepuscular, I believe, is the word. So I'm, I'm sorry I've been fixated on that the whole time we've been talking about this. <laughs> I think you're right, though. There are two 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 sort of camps, and I understand the flatter factor of someone, you know, taking your image, and you know, you're not used to you. It's not your main. Um, uh, source of income and uh, you know it's nice to get published it's nice to be recognized although you do want some credit for it but on the other hand um, you know business wise and uh, not everybody's doing it but if you if you do copyright your images and it's become easier and easier now you can do it online here in the United States anyway um, and 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 then if someone does actually take it you don't have to worry about it as much I mean there's so many things to worry about you know I, I wouldn't say this is, is a major factor and if you copyright at least you know that you've got um, you know a, a, a big head start if it comes to the point where you might want to go to court. And, yeah. and we're starting to see a lot of this stuff like in that fairly image of, of Obama that we talked about last week. But Steve, doesn't it – the whole thing that it just sort of comes back full circle for me, if you are if – if you've made enough money to be able to hire a legal team to defend a photo that you posted online – you're probably in a different space than someone who just signed up for a, flea flicker, a free Flickr <laughs> account and uploaded some images and now someone stole them. So if some, some kid, say 17, 18, whatever, is a really good photographer and they upload some images to Flickr, they have no money, 
you know, and someone steals that image, what recourse does that kid have? None. Well, right? I, I, you know, the thing is, though, sure. the, the copywriting factor, and you can gang copyright a lot of images for $35 fee. And once you've got that registered, it's not like you're hiring a lawyer. Um, a lawyer will take your case, someone that specializes in copyright, if they feel that, um, you know, if, if they feel like a they good can chance. get the 40% out of it. Well, that's, exactly. That's the, that's, that's that take, is yeah. true. But I mean, if a big company like the BBC, um, you yeah. know, takes something or borrows something, it might be worth pursuing them. If most photographers cannot afford to actually hire a lawyer. But if you if you've registered your copyright, um, chances are, you know, you're you're going to win. Yeah, and I guess in, I the, in this age of the internet, the flip side of it is you can make a big stink, and people can will know that this company has stolen your image, and will maybe force them into action. Well, a lot of times they'll want to settle before you. The, the key, the easiest way to settle something like this, by the way, if people are listening and this has ever happened to you, is to call them and talk to them about it before you make it public that it happened. Uh, because the, you don't want to complain publicly because now you've used up one of your biggest pieces of leverage, which is, you know, the BBC, if this guy had sent an email to the BBC, and maybe he did, or maybe he didn't, assuming that because it's up here, I'm assuming that it didn't happen. If if Mike Bailey had emailed the BBC and, and told them you used one of my images and I'd like to be paid for it, uh, there's a high probability if you talk to the right person at the BBC, they would just go, oh, yeah, we'll send you a check for 300 bucks because they don't want to... Now that it's already on broadcast, there's nothing they can do about it. Their hands are tied, but they don't want to be – they don't want the embarrassment, and they're willing to pay to not have the embarrassment. But as soon as you make it public and make a big stink out of it, well, now you know, you're know you at a different level, and you might have to use law, the, the legal end because you've already given up what their primary worry is. Yeah. I have a question kind of on the flip side of this whole topic, though, and that's if you shoot a pool of images, for instance, that you very purposely make available that you want people to use freely – do you create a gray area there as far as how clear you have to be in stating that versus how well, clear you have to be? a lot of times you have the, the opportunity of like Creative Commons versus copyright. You know, and, and when I post stuff, most of, most of my stuff is under Creative Commons. When Steve posts, most, most of his stuff is under – or all of his stuff is under copyright. And uh, I mean even when you look at what Obama did uh, with, um, with Change.org, I believe everything there is actually listed as – uh, under Creative Commons. Mm. So it's basically saying you can put it anywhere you want. And I, and I think that's one of the great things about Creative Commons is not that you have to use it for everything that you're doing or not that that's the future of everything, but it's that, that you, can, you can distinguish that clearly. You can say, this is an image that you can go play with. This is an image you can't go play with. You know, I'm going to copyright this one. I want to keep this one or I want to share it. And I can delineate that and set the rules of engagement you know, within the license. And I think that, that the flexibility of Creative Commons is what makes this actually kind of work. It's not that everyone should use it. Steve shouldn't use it. Scott shouldn't use it. Yeah. This is their business. But for people like us or some people like us who want to make things available and want people to play with it, uh, as long as I get attribution or I get, you know, you can set that up in Creative Commons. Like you can't change it, you can't edit it, or you can, uh, mm-hmm. or the person has to get attribution or, you know, there's all, or you can't sell it, use it for commercial product. These are all the things that you can click off and having a gradation of of control mm-hmm. i think is is really a great a great feature but again you're 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 presupposing that the person that's taking that image under that creative commons license is going to do the right thing and adhere to all those stipulations that you put in there they could just grab it and do whatever the hell they well, want with if, it if they do that though that, that it's the same as taking a copyrighted image yeah. if, if they if they if they violate the creative commons creative commons is still packaged inside the copyright law so if you violate creative commons uh, you are basically doing it's identical to violating the copyright, you know. So it's not that it's an open-ended, uh, you know, an open-ended uh, list. And, and, and as I said, if, if you're putting stuff out in Creative Commons, for the most part, most people who are doing that are knowing that it's just going to go everywhere. 
And, yeah, and speaking- one, one last thing on that, I'll just say that, uh, you know, there's been a couple of times where I was approached by someone who said, hey, I, I saw this image and I want to make a, an artwork out of it. Would you give me permission? And, you know, 88 times out of 100, I would say yes. Uh, you know, chances are, you know, these are people that want to use your image. It's a, it's a flattering thing, and, and it's, it's good to be asked because if you ask, often you'll get an affirmative uh, response. And, uh, you know, that really should be uh, the BBC's first thing is to try and, you know, get uh, permission. It doesn't hurt, and it's easy to find out who, who has what. Granted, I know it's a, it's a TV organization. They had to go live, and they wanted a backdrop, so they grabbed this photo. But, but it's, it's not hard to ask. Yeah, I, I doubt it was a conspiracy. I think it was, it was a, uh, I have a half an hour to get this thing done, and I'm going to throw something up there. No one will ever know. Yeah. Yeah, Who's going to really notice? Mm -hmm. Steve, in in relation to what you were just saying, I mean, did you, in those cases, though, sign an agreement with them in that case? Was it completely a verbal? Uh, Actually, it was was an email thing. So via email, I mean, that's what I do like about email is that it does provide a written record. Now, how, you know, when it comes to legal things, whether that stands up, I don't know. But no, it was was mostly by by email that uh, people will contact me because who knows where they are. And and that's easy. It's easy to find me on email as it is probably just about anybody in this world these days. So so that's how how it was approached. And, uh, you know, I've I've always said yes you know, on those kind of non-commercial uh, requests. Yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of Europe and the law, uh, the next piece of news is that a European court of human rights has ruled that taking pictures without the explicit consent, consent of the person being photographed is a violation of that person's right to privacy, even if the photo's taken in public and never used. That's, that's like it's the definition. of tourism. Yeah. I mean, basically, okay, how can okay, you do that? Uh, Aim at the sky. Yeah, so <laughs> this is a picture of, uh, this is a picture of Paris. This is a picture of uh, London. Well, it's, you know, the clouds were different, as you can see. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a great tutorial on frederickvan.com about how to remove crowds from <laughs> tourist photos. But, you know, how do you, how do you... No, but, but that, that you're already too late. Because you're already you, taking the you, picture. You took the photo. How can, you you How can you enforce this? I, I think yes. this was this was not clear when I went to the actual article. I understand the idea of what how this came about was um, a hospital. Uh, where was it? Uh, t- takes a picture of all the newborn babies. Uh, it's a commercial service that they offer the parents, and uh, I guess one parent um, uh, who was whose baby was put into a sterile unit. Um, was unhappy about this, and, and ultimately, this was in Greece, I guess it, it happened the first time, um, and, and the child's parents in turn objected to having their, their baby photographed, and they asked for the negative, the commercial entity wouldn't give it to them, they sued, and then um, the Greek courts refused to hear the case, it, went before, it sort of ballooned up before the European Court of Human Rights, and they pronounced this decision, which specifically, you know, you can understand that. I don't want you, I don't care who you are photographing my baby without my permission inside a hospital. Mm-hmm. But to extrapolate that idea and now make it illegal to photograph anyone anywhere in Europe, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I don't think that would ever hold up. Yeah. Well, I think we beat that into the ground. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> and maybe if, if people, if, if, if there's more articles, if we're missing something, if you're in Europe and, and there's something we're missing, uh, make sure to uh, send it to us. Aaron, where should they send it? Send us more information. Uh, Twippodcast at gmail.com. So send that to us and uh, we'll review it. But, and we might bring it up in another show if there's a correction there because maybe we don't have all the, the details because on the face of it, it is insane. It is insane <laughs> and unenforceable. 
Yeah, I'm just curious if it's just setting legal precedent for other cases or whether it's actually establishing law. Um, my guess is the former of the two. But Well, the next step will be to to uh, make all cameras in Europe illegal. You just can't carry a camera. Well, it is, it is one of those things as soon as you put – I mean this happens in San Francisco. As soon as you put a camera on, on sticks, as soon as you drop it on a tripod – uh, you you have a it, it, basically you have a, a, a short amount of time before a police officer is going to come up come over and tell you uh, as soon as they consider you a professional photographer. Mm-hmm. I know that's never happened to Fred. That that has happened to me on the Embarcadero. I was taking pictures of a model, of course, but you know I had my tripod. I want to do some you know some long exposure type stuff. And as soon as I pulled out that tripod and set it up, within five minutes, the uh, the rent cops came over. It wasn't. It wasn't the 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 SFPD. It was you know, rent-a-cops. Security. Security. Yeah, they came. The same thing happened to me. You know, you know, you know if, if if it's a rent-a-cop, you know, there's a big word called jurisdiction. Ah, uh, <laughs> well, whatever. Whatever. Same, Person in uniform. As, authority. So I had. Same uh, as true in Washington D.C. too. Just yeah, to mention. I was on. Uh, where was I? In Venice, on Venice Beach, right. in in Southern California. Same thing. I was over there. You, you've been down there, Alex, by the. Uh, yeah. Where the big graffiti walls are by Muscle Beach and other, taking pictures again of a model. And as soon as I, yeah, you know, I didn't even have a tripod that day. I just had an SLR and I said, why? I asked the cop, this was a cop this time. I said, why, why can't I take pictures and that person over there who clearly had a point shoot camera can take pictures? He's like, because your camera looks expensive. So you're not allowed to take pictures. <laughs> of course, you know, there, we actually shot on that beach with a, uh, with a quarter million dollar camera that we snuck on, on in, a, in a blanket. <laughs> Where they're like, it was like, it was like, no, no, it was like, it was like, okay, rush up there, put the put the act, actress there, shoot, 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 shoot. It was it was right right on Santa Monica, right where the, the where the you know we we shoot it really fast and then we wrap everything back up and and run back. And you to just the, hold it like a baby just on the way this out. This is my baby. Well, it was just like it was just like how long can we shoot before someone comes and tells us oh to stop? My God, we got it. Common common criminals used a tripod in the sort of carrying out of their crimes. You know, they'd all be arrested. The conviction rate would be like a hundred percent. It sounds like there you go. Well, Steve. <laughs> Steve, since you're since you're on the mic, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, my pick of the week uh, is something that I don't have, but I want because I've done a couple of nature workshops now, and one of the things that I've found is early morning, as the light starts to get bright, um, and I've got my camera on a, a tripod, as we were talking about, and I'm in an area where I'm not going to be arrested. Um, I find that the exposure, even at the lowest ISO, is there's just too much light. So I'm putting out the Singray Varia ND uh, neutral density filter that allows you to to use that one filter. It's not it's not cheap. It's very expensive, but but uh, it it gives you an eight stop range. So it allows you if I've got my camera planted on its tripod and photographing, let's say, you know, moving water, and I want to try slow exposures as the light goes up, I could just dial in more neutral neutral density power and be able to get longer exposures or more selective focus. And uh, it's something I've never really had a need for up until I've started to play uh, in the nature photographer's playground and uh, experiment a little bit. It looks awesome. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? But I got to tell you, it's got a 77 millimeter standard ring, which I think, you know, fits, you know, probably one of the most popular serious zoom lenses both Canon and Nikon make, the 24 to 70 or 28 to 70 or 105. And, uh, and uh, you know, your 70 to 200. Um, and uh, it's about 340 bucks, though. So it's it ain't cheap, but it looks like something you'd use. Yeah. Yeah, you <clears throat> buy it once. But the, the thing that would scare me is you can only use it on one lens, though. 
right? Well, so, yeah, you have to decide whether or not that lens is one that you're going to use a lot. Yeah. Or you have to buy a lot of these. <laughs> Step-down rings. There you whatever. go. So, Alex, what's your, what's your tip? So I have, I have an iPhone now. I, we've been talking about... <laughs> I, I didn't know you never had one. I thought you had the first one. I actually have many. So, um, uh, so, uh, this is not that jiggle one, is it? Um, no, it's not the jiggle one. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> It's wobble. It's not wobble. wobble. It's not wobble. No, it's okay. not wobble. Um, it is. Uh, so I talk a lot about time lapse, and so there was a lot of uh, people twittering me as to whether. And I think that Aaron had sent me a, um, a link to it, and I have been testing a, a program on the iPhone called Time Lapse. And uh, so what it does is that you have uh, you can set uh, you know how many photos uh, you want to take, how often you want the photos to go. Uh, you know, how many seconds after the tap that you start. And you can simply um, start it. You, so if you put your iPhone, like, on a frame, I mean, on a, on a tripod or on or something, this something is low resolution, yeah. uh, you can take a time lapse. You know, and it's a great little, and it'll, it'll literally just keep on taking photos. This is exactly, you know, this is what, I, this is what I've been talking about. Yeah. An iPhone can do it, but an SLR can't, or, well, SLRs without automatically, and every point and shoot. If you can do it on an iPhone, every point and shoot. shoot is it generating a movie file or just giving you a sequence of images? Sequence of images that you, images that you bring into iPhoto, but you could drop them into iPhoto. And the way to do this, by the way, is you, you drop them into iPhoto, export it out of iPhoto, and you can simply go into QuickTime, if you have QuickTime Pro, which if, if you're doing anything on your computer, you should have QuickTime Pro. It's like mm-hmm. 30 bucks. I mean, you know, give me a break. So anyway, uh, the, uh, you take QuickTime Pro and you say read sequence it, image sequence mm-hmm. and it'll bring them all in and then you simply just say export as you know you just export it as a movie or save it as a movie so it'll save out a quick time movie and then you can play it back and uh, one of my favorite things is to do something like where you do 12 frames a second on the quick time movie and you have it set to every five um every five seconds mm-hmm. so one you know one second is a minute you know it's kind of like a nice you know so if you're watching something then you just watch how long it is you get a sense of if you look you know that you know uh, you get a sense of you know six minutes is six hours yeah, time, yeah. time elapsed and so um, anyway so it's it's a slick little app I, what I really would love to see is a version like this that would you know control the uh, you know a third party camera <laughs> for my iPhone if right. if these guy if the camera manufacturers can't get it together to uh, actually just put it into the phone mm-hmm. um, but so that's my t- pick it's called time lapse you can get it on the iTunes Music Store and I think it's like a dollar cool Aaron um, mine is. Um the Kata E702 element covers. These are um, these are basically what come down to is uh, kind of all weather or, or rain bags um, for your cameras. Um, pretty nice design. I a couple of years ago when I was photographing the uh, Governor of Virginia's inauguration, um, it was pouring rain the whole time, and uh, I was huddled under umbrellas with other photographers and watching water run off the end of my lens and drip <laughs> on the floor, and it was a really painful process so i swore from that point forward i was gonna not face that problem again in the future so um i have one for each of the bodies that i that i use here um of these kata bags and i really like them a lot i mean they're they're none of these types of things are the most fun thing in the world to use but you know odds are if you need one you know it's not a fun shooting situation anyway in the pouring rain but if, if you really are in a situation like that or snow or, or i've actually used them too um on the beach um in cases where there was going to be blowing sand you know with a with a good uh uh, UV filter or something on the front of the lens is to try and keep any kind of sand and grit out of the body. But uh, they cinch, the camera fits inside it. It's It's got a very nice uh, clear backing that, believe it or not, you can actually look through with, with little or no distortion through your viewfinder. Mm. And uh, your hands go in both sides and, and with Velcro and straps and so on, you can cinch it down. So 
uh, and also Velcro down around the front of the lens, and they also have lens extensions. So if you're using very long lenses, you can extend the bag, you know, out over a 400 millimeter lens or so. Yeah. So uh, pretty much, you can about hermetically seal your camera, you know, before you head out somewhere. Steve, Steve are you the, using that when you when you travel like to Africa or using well, something similar? As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention to Aaron that I have uh, exactly one of those CATA covers, and and one of the the favorite pictures that I had taken, which was during this massive rainstorm in Lesotho, uh, sort of in within South Africa area, is where this little country lies. And it was pouring rain, and it was one of my favorite photos. And I had the Kata um, cover um, in the trunk of the car, but I was so excited to go get this image that I didn't have time to get it from the trunk of the car. So I got completely drenched, as did my camera, as did my lens. Mm. Everything was okay, but I did have the Kata cover with me. Wow. But I never used it. <laughs> but he was glad he had it. I know it's a little bit of a, a crazy story. Yeah, but, uh, they're good to have. No. They're, mm-hmm. they're good to have. There's no question. Um, but it was my own fault. I, but, but no regrets because the camera survived and I got one of my favorite, favorite shots out of it. We used to just use hefty bags with rubber bands around the lens. It's a little bit more refined. It's more refined. But in a pinch, just for those folks that can't buy that, you know. A hefty bag will do. Did you put your head in the hefty or, bag with it? Or, no, or, or a uh, one of those clear Ziploc bags that's big enough to put your camera body in, and just cut a little hole with your with so, your filter ring for the lens, and you're good to go. So the the uh, the production uh, photographer in in uh, Japan, when they, the the guy who's actually taking the photos for publicity. Mm-hmm. Had a pelican case. It's like a little. It was like a little pelican case, and he had cut a full on black pelican case, like a little one, like a little one that, that that's uh, maybe uh, you know uh, like uh, size of a nine inches by six inches or something. But yeah. he but he had cannon stuck into it with his little lens, and and he had and he had this box, and then he had wired up this big button on the outside, and and and, and so he's, he's taking pictures, and it looked like an art project. I mean, it was <laughs> I was like, why are you, you know, um, was he holding up the flash powder too? No, no, I was like, and I was just confused, like staring at him. And, and and I I asked someone and they looked at me like I was an idiot. They were like, "Well, it doesn't make any sound." And, I, and it was it was actually you know it doesn't make any sound. Like yeah. you push the button, so it was all about dampening all the sound uh. of, the, of the camera. But uh, it, and it was a great idea once I saw it. Uh, but when I as I was watching him do it, it just it just looked like uh, he's. He's a little behind, a little slow. We're, it's okay, you know. You know, and, yeah. and, and uh, but it turned out he it was there was a good production reason. Awesome. And I still I still like that hat umbrella that I saw a while back at B and H. It looks a little, you know, you're not going to see it uh, during Fashion Week, but it looked like it would be kind of practical. You so you're not going to wear it with the photo pants that we talked about. <laughs> yeah, exactly, some tactical photo pants. That you might end with Aaron's special, special, uh, you know, thermal underwear thing that he was talking about. But I mean, you know, it just goes on your head, and uh, it's got an umbrella, so it it sort of, uh, you know. Takes care of business. I just want to buy all that stuff and, and wear it. I just, want, I, I just want one picture of you, <laughs> which I will hold over your head for free Drobos for a long, long time. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So what's your pick? Jocularity. All right. So, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, very, stop the jocularity. Fred, Fred. We need a jocularity meter in the studio. Wait, wait. Let's calm ourselves. Fred, mm. can you provide your pick? My pick I think might be a little controversial here because oh. I like to be controversial. I'm going to actually pick another photography-related podcast. 
as my pick it's on okay. this week in it's photography. Okay. I'm okay. You know, it turns out Rock there are a ride. lot of podcasts out there on photography, and, you know, some of them are really, really good. Um, and in my list of podcasts at the top, right next to Twip, is uh, studiolighting.net. And it's a, it's a, and you can just search for studiolighting.net on iTunes or go to, uh, go to that URL. But it basically it's two guys that, that talk about studio lighting and their website has a bunch of information on, and tutorials on studio lighting and all kinds of photography related stuff. And they always have, they always have a really good guest on there, you know, some photographer or someone in from the photography industry that is giving tips and tricks about how they got to where they are. And I think it's a really well put together show. It's really professional and, you know, the the guys kind of on the show kind of are like my friends feel, now even though I don't I know feel, them. I feel I feel hurt. You but feel of course, hurt. of course, the best thing is no one, no one in the show would ever be on that show. I'm cheating on you. <laughs> you, <Yeah>. you <laughs> no one would be. Okay. No you one know, would actually go on the show. No one would ever actually appear on another podcast. Would they? Would they, Steve? <laughs> okay, I cannot tell a lie. I've, I've been seeing another podcast. I, I just didn't know you how to break two timing host. I didn't know how to break it to you your, guys. But, your clothes uh, are on the sidewalk, too. Someone <laughs> called me from Digital Photography Life, this nice guy, Scott Sherman. Not as nice as you guys, but he's sort of nice. And he asked me to be on this show, and I, I was on the you show. You don't love him, I, do you? You don't Steve, love him? Steve was like, it just happened. I'm sorry. It I, just know, happened. It was an the, accident. You just, just act like oh, it was it an had, accident. I had too much to drink. The website had bright colors, and I was just – I didn't know what I was thinking. And I, I went on. He's and, just uh, using you. It was a great experience at the time, and then when it was over, I, I, you know, I just felt weird. And you I, smelled I felt dirty, bad. dirty, guilty. <laughs> but no, it was a lot of fun, and as a matter of fact, they mentioned This Week in Photography uh, uh, on the Digital Photography Life with uh, Scott Sherman and Michael Stein, although Scott was the guy that, that interviewed me, and it was, uh, I, was, I proudly uh, talked a little bit about TWIP, um, and I think they may have cut that part out, but it was, it was a good interview. <laughs> Excellent. It just goes to show in the podcasting universe, it's not like the regular broadcasting universe where you got to try to hoard people because yeah. there's limited viewing or listening time. You know, you can listen to these things in sequence you whenever collect, you want. Collect all your favorite podcasts. Collect, collect them like marbles. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, you want to uh, you want to talk about the photo assignment and the current poll? Let's see. Well, we're in week two of our uh, photo assignment, which I believe you announced last week. Mm-hmm. Um, the topic is reflection. Uh, take that how you will. Um, another one of our one-word situations here with multiple meanings. Um, our poll last week kind of took a hiatus, so uh, it actually ran for, I think, two weeks on the blog. So no poll last week to offer results on. But uh, this week, we're going to take a little bit different uh, new poll. And uh, the question is, is there a tradition of photography in your family? And uh, the answers we have right now are uh, no, I'm the first to really be serious about it. Or yes, a close family member is or was a professional photographer. And that could be a you know, parent or uncle or someone, you know, close in your family, essentially. And uh, last is uh, not as a profession, but uh, there's been a real passion for photography in my family. So Excellent. be curious to see what uh, what people say. My uncle taught me to develop. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was My uncle had lots and lots of cameras. And he had 8x10 camera, 8x10, uh, you know, uh, Flatbacks. Oh, like a view camera, swing yeah, tilt. Yeah, and um, and so he had all kinds of cameras, but I he gave me my K one thousand, and then I learned how to develop co- color. With film was way too hard. I was just like, oh, 
Yeah. This is too much work. So I just stuck with black. So I shot a lot of black and white because if it was color, I kind of sent it to Kodak. You know, I was like, I was like, I don't want to. Yeah. Developing uh, color, anything, the temperature, yeah. you have to keep it like what? Plus or minus a third of a degree yeah, or something it was, ridiculous I was like, like uh, Yeah, I'm going to stick with black and white, which I love developing. I still love the smell of Dectol. Mm. It smells like chocolate. I do not love the smell of chemistry because I think I still have some coursing through my veins from my military. Well, days. the fixer, the fixer is nasty, but the, I always I thought Dectol was a very nice smell. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So on to our sponsor, Alex. Since it, it's not the uh, the company that I've joined recently, and no, by no coincidence that I joined a company this week and they're not the sponsor of the show <laughs> this week. I just want to say that. To, to, to Mark and, yep. and Tom and Drobo people that are listening. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so our, our, uh, our sponsor is Audible, audible.com, and you can, uh, you can get a free book. Of course, Audible is the largest supplier of, of Audible books on, uh, in the world. And uh, if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip, you can, uh, you can actually get your own uh, free credit so that you can go get, go get a free book uh, at audible.com. So uh, I would highly suggest that it makes us look cool, and so everyone should do it. Is it free and, credit uh, if you already if no, you already, if already done it? it and you don't get a free credit every week. All right. So you but have if you to, haven't done it, if you're listening to this podcast and yeah. you haven't signed gone up, to Audible, it's free. But you wait, wait, wait. You get ha- free stuff if if you if you've already signed up for Audible. No, can think, you get this, or is it no, only for people for that new, have not? It's signed for up. new subscribers. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, that's got to be clear because I was going to go over there, but now, now I it's all ruined. I already have an account, uh, but it is it's free, and and this is how I read. I mean, I don't, I I actually love having Audible as a sponsor because um, I don't, uh, I don't read books. All right, and and so the book that I'm reading right now through my ears, it, you know, something you know is uh, it's called The Art of Living by Epictetus, and. Uh, uh, it's translated by uh, by Sharon LaBelle, and um, Epictetus was uh, around in Greece, um, uh, uh, fifty five to one thirty five. So he, he was here a long time ago, wow. and uh, in a lot of this, uh, his um, art of living is very much a Greek version uh, of what I would consider like Lao Tzu. You know, uh, it is a very, it's you know just philosophies of life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not very ph- photographic. I'm not. Ma- I don't have a photographic pick, um, but this is what I'm actually listening to right now, and it's really good. It's just kind of common sense, uh, cool. and uh, and good common sense, and uh, and so anyway. So if you, uh, it's it's not really long. You can listen to it fairly quickly, and uh, I would highly suggest it. So that's it. And you, if if you want to try that, if you want to follow along on my crazy philosophy, see, I'm a philosophy major. I didn't study photography uh if you want to uh, wander off into that area uh you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip and those who didn't know you uh, alan is very why are you calling you alan i don't know why that's in my head yeah yeah why you, you don't know me very well i mean it's not like you've been on a show with me for a it's year it's not the, like i've known you for what 10 years yeah. five years something like that <laughs> alex Lindsay is a big fan of uh shakespeare and when no. pr- when prodded, not gonna do it. he will no. recite Shakespeare. <laughs> not gonna do it. And in fact, he even made a ringtone for Dane Sanders, one of the previous <laughs> <Boy>. guests. <laughs> a Shakespeare? No, it wasn't a ringtone. It I have, was. I have a, to get that to him. I haven't gotten it to him. I recorded it, and, and we just worried about the shows. Yeah, what so was it? Was, it wasn't a ringtone. Was it? A, it's his voicemail message. It's his voicemail outgoing message. voicemail message. I can't do it because I gave it to him. <sighs> yeah, because people will record it, and, and then and then it'll be on everybody's, and then he'll be like, "I didn't get." Any, I have to give him at least some some exclusive. Give, give him a month head yeah, start. Yeah, I gotta to, give him. So I haven't delivered to. I'll do it later. I'll do it in a, in a future show. But it's it's a it's a it's a Shakespeare mashup for your phone, and um, I'll do that some other time. All right. So uh, something a little different for the guest this week. Uh, 
if you're familiar with Flickr, you may have come across an artist by the name of Rebecca. She, I think, a couple, if it was not last year or even more recently, she was she was the most popular in terms of page view or, or image views. Uh, photographer on Flickr, and her stuff is just amazing. She's got this series on there called Multiplicity, where she she does multiple exposures using Photoshop, of course, of herself in different situations and different places and all that stuff. And that sort of launched her. And then she's gone on to create some really exciting works with long exposures. The thing is, she's she lives in a in a wonderland. Um, she's up there in Iceland, which is very picturesque, and it comes through in her images and her talent loud and clear the, what's different about this interview is it's long so <laughs> it's 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 very interesting and it's very long so what we're going to do is split it up into two parts this will be part one of the interview and uh the the topic of the interview of course is flicker narcissism and the self-portrait uh, rebecca is actually writing her thesis as we speak probably on uh, narcissism and the self-portrait so she's uh, she's an authority on the topic in many ways so uh, i think you'll enjoy it give it a listen Okay, so I'm here with Rebecca of, of Flickr fame, uh, one of the most popular photographers, if not the pop- most popular photographer on Flickr, um, for lots of reasons, and some of which we'll get, we'll get into in this interview. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks for taking the time. No problem. Nice to be here. So you're, we're connecting through the wonders of Skype. You're, where in the world are you right now? I am, at the moment, in... I'm in Iceland, in my hometown of Hafnafjordish. Wow. Now, are you in the middle? Uh, you guys get like, was it like extended day times and extended night up there, right? So is it, is yeah. it, is it so day or basically, night? Um, it's night. It's night now for a few months. Um, we get like uh, daylight from like 10 in the morning till 5 or 6 p.m. these days. But summer makes up for it because then the, the sun doesn't go down at all. So we have like daylight the whole whole 24 hours pretty much. Wow, which is, which is cool. Yeah, that must be great for photography. It's awesome. I, I rarely, I, I almost don't sleep during the summer. You're just I'm out just, shooting all the time, filling up cards and yeah, dumping them. Basically, I mean, I just can't sleep when when I, if the weather's good. That is, I mean, it rains a lot, but if it's if it's not raining, I'm usually out there <clears throat> taking pictures. Wow, that's awesome. So, what, what's your what's your background in photography, or, or or better yet, why did you get into photography? Well, that's actually an interesting question, and one I am tackling at the moment in my BA thesis, which I'm in the middle of writing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I'm, I'm studying visual arts uh, here in Iceland, and um, finishing now, graduating now this spring, and focusing mostly on, on photography. Um, and I sort of got into it almost by accident, or I, I didn't really realize that photography was going to be my medium until just sort of... I fell into it around um, spring 2005. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I, I started using Flickr, and um, up until that point, I'd, I'd always been kind of fascinated with it. And uh, you know, I'd done some black and white film courses and learned how to how to um, develop and do some darkroom work. And um, but I, I'd always viewed it as a very straightforward medium. You know, just kind of just taking pictures of what I happened to see, and um, I didn't really see it in any more creative way. Yeah, and I had always kind of planned on being a painter because I had um, I had always been drawing a lot and doing portraits. And um, when I decided to go to art school, I, I always planned on uh, sort of going into um, oil painting or something. And then just I, I just realized just when I started um, really, you know, kind of looking at photography in a new way, uh, partly thanks to um, just the whole digital. Uh, 
I mean, it, it changed a lot. I mean, when, when digital cameras came around and, and, and Photoshop and all that, um, you just it became so easily accessible to, to really play around with, with the whole medium and, and do much more with it and capture your immediate surroundings. So, um, I don't know, it's kind of, I just really started playing with it um, just from, from, from like when I started using Flickr and started in school and I've just been kind of alongside all that, kind of rediscovering it and, and um, going always further and further with um, how much you can actually do with a camera and, and a little bit of, of manipulation. Yeah. Did you get that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, you said a little bit of manipulation. <laughs> I got the manipulation. It came through. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so okay. So, speaking of that, before we get into the software and the Flickr and all that stuff, what kind of what are you shooting with? What's your what's your gear of choice? Uh, well, at the moment, um, I'm most, mostly using a Canon 5D. The new, which, the new Mark II, or the, uh, no, the not the new one. I, I got this camera back in summer 2006, and haven't really felt the need to upgrade, or maybe I just can't afford it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But no, no, it's a good camera. It's it really it does what I need it to do. And um, uh, aside from that, I have two film cameras that I sometimes play around with, just 35 millimeter film. Wow. Yeah. And um, but you know, I mean, it's digital is a lot more practical and cheaper. And and you know, when I'm really just know what I'm, it is that I'm going to do. I just use digital. And, um, now do, you, do, you, do you stick to a, a specific range of lenses or, or do you, you kind of go across the board? Mm, I have um, four lenses, I think, for this camera. Um, I have a standard 50 millimeter portrait lens, a 100 millimeter portrait lens, and um, a fisheye 15 millimeter, uh, and uh, the 1740 millimeter. Which I probably use the most. The seventeen it's, for the landscapes and all that. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Though I do actually, I use the fisheye a lot for outdoor uh, the landscapes. I mean, if there's no square object that really shows the um, because it, it the fisheye really kind of warps all straight lines and it kind of can look really bad if you use it the wrong way. But um, right. But it's really good for for certain kinds of of, of landscape photos and actually quite a few of them. My self portraits I've been taking with the fisheye. It's it's sometimes really a, a great lens. Kind of playing with. Right, so I was going to ask about that. So you're, you know, I'm a big fan of your Multiplicity series. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's some amazing work there. Now, what what brought that on, and was that the beginning of sort of your foray foray into Flickr, or what? What's the, the story um, behind that? That started that yeah, that started or like mm, sometime I think in September October 2005. I'd been using Flickr for like five months. But um, when I started doing those pictures, I that was probably the first time I started getting some really, really big feedback and, and a lot of attention. And uh, several of the pictures that I made in that way um, generated a lot of, um, I don't know if you call it a, an, an homage or, 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 or just plain copying, mm-hmm. but I, I found like you know identical versions of, of one of my photos. Uh, made by I don't know how many different people, and it's 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 really interesting and amusing to see something that just came out of my imagination and done sort of on a whim as a joke um, ended up becoming this sort of phenomenon on Flickr. It is. Uh, it, it's a movement on Flickr now. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not. It wasn't my idea originally. I mean, it's a really really old idea. I mean, the first multiplicity photo was made by this guy named Oscar Rylander, who's Swedish photographer and he did it in 1859 on film so i mean it's an old idea and it's and i'm certainly wasn't inventing the wheel 
in any way. Uh, I mean, it's an easy thing to do. It's just really a simple foot trick. Right. So to me, the challenge was not in actually, you know, like, ooh, look what I can do, but, you know, look what I can do in an interesting way. Yeah. And maybe to me, because I don't know, I'm a Gemini and I, I really have two distinct sides. So to me, it was um, a really, really fun storytelling technique because you could make this really um, improbable scene really. And I don't know, I had a lot of fun playing around with this and um, I don't do much of it now uh, unless it, you know, really serves a purpose, I think. But um but it's, it's, it was very fun to kind of pit myself against myself in, in, in all sorts of weird uh, situations. And um, it did lead, actually, to probably one of my biggest um, commercial assignments. And that was, the, was actually, the, the Toyota ad campaign? Yeah. Yeah, that was really weird. I mean, I had, here I was just in my second year at school. I had never done any commercial photography work of any kind. And, <laughs> and these guys asked me to make this... Um, a photo series of myself <laughs> you know, <laughs> to as a car. And I'm like, um, yeah, I don't think that's ever been done before. So you, you were the model and the photographer. Did you, did you double the charge them? <laughs> and the stylist and just everything. I mean, I was just alone doing this. It was, it was probably the most fun summer job I've ever had. I mean, it was, it was really, really fun, but extremely challenging because here these pictures would be, you know, presented to the public as a, some sort of, you know, advertising campaign or something. And, um, it was pretty scary, yeah. and no, but I, I, I'm, I, I'm fond of the pictures that I did then. I, I mean, I, I wasn't wasn't really happy with them at the time because you know I, I had this really, I, I don't know. You feel like you have to do everything perfectly when you get this sort of big kind of assignment, and um, you know, no, no more screwing around. But uh, basically, that's what I was doing. I was playing around, and, um, and the, the pictures kind of tell a, a really odd story of these two girls um that kind of meet by coincidence traveling around iceland and, and you know <laughs> that's great <laughs> it, was, it was it was cool though i mean because you know they just gave me complete freedom artistic freedom to do what i, I wanted to do and um and they even said you know you don't even have to have the car in pictures. <laughs> Wha- <laughs> like wow. okay whatever you say <laughs> that's great so, yeah, it, was, it was very cool i mean it's it's an odd kind of um, opportunity that not many people get, I suppose. So that's 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 a good segue. So uh, you said you started Flickr in what roughly '05, right? Yeah. So four years. So just four years, you've gone from you know relative obscurity, I'd say globally speaking, to mm-hmm. being one of the. I would the say I would say absolute obscurity. Okay, so absolute <laughs> obscurity to being one of the <laughs> most recognized photographers, at least on Flickr and now beyond, with these ad campaigns that are being driven by your popularity on Flickr. How how would you say someone that wants to you know gain a, a percentage of your success on Flickr? How do how do they do it? Well, um, it's hard to say because none of it was deliberate. I mean, I did not set out to use Flickr as some sort of tool, some, you know, marketing tool for myself because I didn't even realize how it worked when I started putting pictures in there. I just, I was just going to show, you know, like my friends and family, my pictures online. And I didn't even realize that, you know, the whole commenting and connecting with other people thing until it just started, sort of started happening. Mm -hmm. And, um, for me, Basically, I just decided to kind of go along with it. I realized how it worked, and, and I just thought, you know, I mean, it's very logical that uh, the higher quality um, material you put in there, you're going to get a lot more interest um, from the right people. Uh, I mean, in my case, the first pictures I put in there weren't that good, and I had a lot of um, 
sort of straightforward self-portraits that were, you know, sort of exploiting my appearance. Mm-hmm. I mean, very deliberate, actually. I mean, I was basically just kind of, uh, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, I just kind of realized what works, you know, when you're just really first kind of gathering some sort of audience. And this is something that people obviously wanted to see more of. I mean, they were just interested in seeing pictures of me. I mean, there are hundreds, thousands of women on Flickr who do right. exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, but for me, I didn't want to, you know, continue in that direction because I'm... I'm a, you know, I know that I can basically do whatever I want to do because, um, and I had, I don't know, big ideas about what kind of photographer I wanted to be. Yeah, you're and more more than just a pretty face, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's that's what I like to think, at least. And yeah. I remember very clearly this comment from some guy that said, "Sure, you're very pretty and all that, but you're not really that good a photographer." Oh. <laughs> and that really kind of like, oh shit, and I have to do something about that. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how sometimes you can get, you know, this raft of really good, you know, positive comments and just that one that that hits you right in the spine, right? I I still remember that comment. I'm so grateful to the guy who said that because I mean, really, he meant it in a good way, you know, and it was encouraging because when when I read that, that was at the same time I had sort of started um, trying to figure out long exposure photography and I was taking pictures of all sorts of other stuff, not just myself. But I was in the process of learning, and um, it just kind of encouraged me to just really, really concentrate on the technical sides. Uh, because, I mean, photography has been a man's world from day one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, there have been, you know, there's loads of research that's been done, and just, you know, all sorts of statistics, you know, all sorts of um, books that have been published and shows that have been done, like these, um, that are supposed to be some sort of overview of, of photography through, through the years. And it's always like, you know, like 5% of the photographers mentioned are women, the rest are men. So, I mean, a, a, a young woman like myself, um, coming into this scene, completely unknown, hardly know what I'm doing. I've hardly used a camera before. And, um, and I'm seeing that I have this sort of opportunity to somehow, you know, make some sort of, um, impact. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to do it, you know, just continue just showing my body and showing my appearance and just being a pretty face, you know, because that would be the, 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 what you'd expect from I don't know I don't know what, what, what I'm thinking about these um I just, it's uh, the chauvinistic kind of uh, way that some men you know look at women like uh you know she's she's just getting that attention because she looks a certain way right and right. I, I was really really you know um, focused on not wanting to be um, dismissed in that way mm-hmm. and because I I had a complete belief in myself that I'm capable of of, of producing really high quality work and um so basically i just went into really really studying the uh the medium and really learning how a camera works and going into all that stuff just so that i would be able to kind of have some sort of background that i could you know see i can actually do all this stuff even though i look like this do you think it was so after the multiplicity series hit and you started seeing you know, the, the relative success of that. And then, of course, people were saying, oh, Rebecca's narcissistic because she keeps taking pictures mm-hmm. of, of herself, you know, oh, and then you decided to prove them wrong by doing other things and showing your breath as a photographer. So yeah. do, do you, so that was sort of the flow. You got the, the springboard from the Multiplicity series into where yeah. you are now. And now you're sort of really a master of, of the camera in a lot of ways, right? Well, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm not a master, I wouldn't say that, but, you know, I'm Well, you're, you're, you're strong, you, you know the fundamentals yeah, of I, light, I, exposure, I, and composition, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I know how a camera works. I mean, I have the background from, from um, 
the days of analog. I mean, mm-hmm. see, I, I mean, I, I started there. I started using an analog camera, and I started doing darkroom work, and I know all that stuff. You know, that a lot of people that just kind of dive into photography these days buy themselves a Canon 1D S Mach 3, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. and, you know, they basically just put it on auto, and <laughs> they don't even yeah. know what the camera's doing. And I don't know, to me, that's just sort of, the wrong way to go about it. You have to sort of have the background. It's it's un- otherwise it's just like building a house on sand. And um, and it's always been very important to me to be able to at least you know show this sort of portfolio of very um, varied work. You know that shows that I can do this and I can do that and I can do that. And I've shot weddings and I blah blah. You know I've yeah. tried it all, but you know when it what it all boils down to is is that I want to continue creating photography as my artwork, you know, rather than be a commercial photographer. Yeah. And, you know, I've continued to um, focus on myself and do self-portraits because that that's basically just, you know, that, the kind of artist that I am. You know, I'm very, mm-hmm. uh, I have a very personal sort of, um, it's just how I approach my art, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you're, you're always there, so you don't have to worry about finding mm-hmm. a model, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of reasons. This is actually what I'm writing my thesis about. It's mm-hmm. it's it's all about photography and the self-portrait in particular, mm. because you know, because I've gotten so much. Um, I mean, I've had to really ask myself a lot of questions. Uh, you know, the the whole narcissism issue is, is is such a shallow way of looking at it because um, as if people just you know take a quick glance, okay, what's this person doing? She's taking pictures of herself and. If you haven't really, you know, if you don't have any background in art history or, 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 or you're not really, you know, really digging into the reasons for, for why an artist does what he does, it's really easy to dismiss a self-portrait artist. And, and it seems to be even easier to dismiss one if, if she happens to be a slender, tall blonde. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just how, how, how things work. I mean, so I've had to really kind of um, work myself through this sort of uh, almost this guilty feeling. Of, of focusing so much on myself, even though I know that I have my, you know, completely valid reasons for doing it. And right. it's not about narcissism and it's not about showing off and it's not about me, me, me. It's, it's just, um, you know, it's, there's so many psychological reasons for doing it. And, um, they actually, the self portraits, um, they moved from being just, you know, sort of these blatant, uh, straightforward pictures of me with my face showing and just kind of sort of, I mean, I wasn't really, you know, giving much thought into the pictures. They were just for pictures of me. But they've moved on to becoming something completely different, um, where I'm more sort of using myself. As you say, I'm, a, I'm always there, and I'm a handy model. And yeah. you know, so I can always kind of... Uh, I'm more sort of using myself as a an actress in, in just in these scenes that I'm, I'm portraying. Um, I mean, it's, it's something that, for instance, Cindy Sherman did, you know, 20, 30 years ago, or she was sort of a pioneer in that. Um, just sort of, I mean, so the pictures aren't necessarily about me anymore, but even though I'm in them. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there, there are just, um, dozens of sides to, to the self-portrait, which, which is, um, really interesting to look into if you, if you really think about it, because it's, it's, there's not just like one side to it. And, um, so this is something I've had to go, go sort of full circle. You know, I had to, I started there and then I had to prove I could do everything else. And then I sort of found out that this is still what I want to continue doing. So yeah. it's been a very healthy and um, educating experience for me, yeah. I would say. 
I, I, I would imagine you hit that point where the that one commenter that said you you know that had his own reasons for saying why you're taking these photos. You probably hit the point where you were just saying, you know what, to hell with him. I'm going to do this anyway. Where where would you yeah. say where would you say that point of inflection was? You know, I, that didn't happen until just this year. No, no, not this year. It's only February. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Late last year. Um, I actually, uh, like, um, last fall, no, uh, fall 2007, I, I sort of hit this sort of point where I was absolutely stuck in a rut, and I felt like I was just um, not going anywhere, and I felt like uh, I didn't know what I was going to do with this flicker phenomenon, which had somehow become too big for me to sort of deal with. Because I was, you know, struggling with my my schoolwork, struggling with sort of identifying myself as an artist, and I had all of a sudden amassed this big audience of people who were expecting me to continue doing a certain type of work that I had been doing, and you know, it just happened that the the, the work I'd been producing and, and showing on Flickr, um, I mean, this is just my my absolute first work as an artist. I'm, I'm just just starting out and, yeah. and figuring out who I am, and. Um, and so much of it has been just playing and experimenting and, and just technical exercises and, and just sort of playing around. And, um, you know, not my what I want to be recognized for in the future necessarily. So I actually had to stop and think, um, you know, okay, am I just going to continue doing this? I mean, this isn't paying my bills. I can't just I can't just continue making a picture a day and throwing it on Flickr, getting a bunch of feedback and, you know, and then just next day the same yeah because it wasn't really getting me anywhere and it wasn't enough for me just i mean it, I, because i felt like i had to somehow have the freedom and you know kind of peace and quiet to sort of try out other things and evolve and, and you know figure out what i was doing yeah. and not you know instantly show it off to everyone and and you know so i actually had this very difficult period where i was i became very afraid of flicker <laughs> And I had to figure out what to do with it. That's how I am with <laughs> you know? Twitter right now, actually. <laughs> I'm, never tried to, I'm not uh, going to do it. Uh, Facebook and Flickr is enough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's enough R's for you. <laughs> yeah. I, I threw out my MySpace account the other day. It was just, I thought, what, uh, I don't know, what do I need this for? I mean... Wow. Four thousand uh, friends that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now you're I mean, you're exclusively on Flickr and Facebook. Yeah, and and the thing is about Flickr, I've been really. Um, I've been withdrawing myself from it little by little um, mm. because so many issues have come up. Um, there are issues about copyright and um, picture theft and, you know, that I've twice had to deal with, you know, uh, with my pictures just being taken off liquor and used mm-hmm. in a, you know, and without my, uh, without my knowledge or permission. And yeah. just the whole thing of, of, of you know, because, I, I happen to have these uh, sort of lofty expectations for myself. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to be just a, you know, photographer who puts her stuff on on the internet because I want to really kind of go into the real art world and you know make some sort of name for myself. Yeah. And there have all these all sorts of thoughts come up about that that I've had to been kind of you know I've been looking at back and forth and, and trying to figure out how to basically take the best out of Flickr, you know, because it has been such a huge impact for me. I mean, it, it has actually been a life-changing thing. Um, and, you know, I'm absolutely I'm so grateful for all the opportunities and um, uh, the feedback I've gotten through it. But, you know, I, I don't want to become completely, um, you know, stuck there. Right. Um, yeah, that's not your your only avenue for distribution of your no, work, right? No. And I've actually removed um, some of my better uh, pictures or, or made them private because I had just become 
really paranoid about them just being, I don't know, just taken and used in the wrong way or just somehow they just didn't fit in anymore. Well, you've got a lot of work up there and a lot of really good stuff. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? Are you watermarking or how do you, how do you deal with the theft or potential theft issue? I, I started out just by um, little by little, you know, finding the best pictures and making them smaller and watermarking them. Mm-hmm. But that's not really any, you know, guarantee of anything because, I mean, there's new software these days that you can download a picture that's only 72 DPI and, you know, print it out and maybe you can just photograph it you know, with a really good camera and blow it up again. I mean, mm-hmm. or just use all sorts of um, algorithmic uh, software that just sort of manages just, you can blow up a really small image and it just you can make it really big and it doesn't lose, lose any quality. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a bit scary. And this is something that, uh, of course, every photographer these days that chooses to use the internet has to be um, conscious of. Absolutely. It's a double-edged sword, right? You want you want exactly. to be exposed to this, this gigantic universe of people that could see your work, but there's going to be that contingent in that universe that's going to want to steal your work. So what do you do? Exactly. And especially if you've had it stolen twice, you know, you, you start really wondering, is this worth it? Um, but then you don't want to, you know, hide yourself completely. And, and you have to kind of find the balance because um, this is the future. This is how things are changing. And um, just for all... You know, all manner of artists. I mean, there's you know musicians that have been discovered through MySpace and all that stuff. And, yeah. and it's just it's just material that's distributed on the internet is it's always going to be you know very likely that somebody's going to steal it or, or do something with it. Um, so you, there's no really there's no way of escaping it. So you have to sort of just figure out ways to work around it. Um, yeah. So so lately, I I haven't really been using Flickr that much. I've sort of <laughs> I've sort of been using it mostly just to. Um, upload pictures of these sweaters i've been making mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just i heard about i heard about those sweaters i'm looking at them now those are some pretty swank sweaters there yeah I mean, so are you making them I... for people or are you just making them because you like knitting oh i'm making them that's actually my uh my main source of income alongside school these days oh wow wow so i so how are you selling them I, but it's just I, I've been like every time I upload a picture of a sweater, I get like fifty mails from people asking me if I'll make them a sweater, and then I just sort of sift through and write people back and um, tell them what it costs, and then I have like maybe five people that are actually willing to pay for it. Because you, you um, will probably get some more after this podcast goes live. So. Yeah, that's that's going to be a problem. <laughs> I'm absolutely swamped with these sweater orders. It's so funny. I mean, it started out as a joke almost, uh, like this. Uh, sometime last, um, like in January 2008, a, a friend of mine, uh, you know, saw one of the sweaters I was wearing. I made for myself, and he said, "Will you make me one?" And I'll pay for it. And I'm like, "Sure, no problem." And then I did that, and then I did, you know, did that for a few people here in Iceland. And then I just decided to advertise it and see what would happen. And you know, I've I've made like, I mean, these are handmade. It takes me a month to make each one, and oh, wow. and I'm. Um, you know, full-time school and everything. So I've only made like I think twelve, I think, and you know, for people abroad. But you know, it's it's. I think it's there's something really nice about it. You know, sort of making something and sending it off. And then I have this dream of um, finding all these people someday and and taking portraits of them in their sweaters. Oh, that's a great a idea. Yeah, <laughs> it would be cool. So, I mean, it's just one of the things that um, it's so you know, one of the things I keep thinking about. Uh, you know, with uh, even though. <laughs> You know, you might think that people have become more isolated with the in- with the internet and everything, because everybody's just indoors, you know, communicating through a computer. 
But in reality, I think people communicate a lot more than they did before the internet. Yep. Because you're connected with so many people that otherwise you would never talk to. That's right. You and I are having this conversation where we probably wouldn't have had the opportunity before. Uh-huh. So I think in, in, in some ways, uh, it's, all, it's sort of made the, the world a little bit smaller and cozier, you know, mm-hmm. in a certain way. At least that's how I like to look at it because I'm an optimist. Yeah. And uh, so, so, yeah, the Twitter thing became kind of neat that started very coincidentally. And, and I've just sort of been working with it, you know. I'm, I'm very um, quick at grabbing every opportunity that comes my way. Yeah. And I found that alongside my, my schoolwork and, you know, just figuring out what kind of artwork I'm going to be making in the future, um, it's it's actually a bit distracting to work as a photographer. Uh, I mean, by that I mean, you know, taking on these assignments where someone tells me what kind of picture they want and I have to make it, you know, according to their wishes. Yeah. It just doesn't, that doesn't work well for me. I've tried it and, you know, I've done a few big projects and it's just, I mean, it's a really healthy experience and it's definitely have to try to figure out if it's something you want to do for a living yeah and in like in my case i'm, I'm an absolutely awful wedding photographer i mean i just yeah. don't have i don't have the nerves for it it's that's just, that's a wedding yeah. photography advertisement right there <laughs> <laughs> but rebecca will shoot your wedding but she will shoot whatever she feels like shooting and she's terrible <laughs> yeah. exactly what people hear because i don't want to do one ever again <laughs> Just no, it's funny. Some people are just born wedding photographers. It's just a certain type of personality that you have to have. You have to be really open and outgoing. And you have mm-hmm. to be really, uh, you know, easygoing and kind of going with the flow. And because everything can go wrong, and you mm-hmm. know, there's everybody's stressed. And there's this bride, and this has to be her perfect day. And you know, if you if you screw up, you're going to ruin it. Yeah, there's no margin <laughs> for error because there's no exactly. do-overs. <laughs> and uh, so, so I've done three, I think, and it's so it was just like the most stressful experience of my life. Wow. No, were, mean, were these in Iceland? I, yeah. Wow. And uh, I don't know. It's just it's just not my thing. And uh, the whole. I mean, I've shot pictures for a few bands and some magazines and I don't know it's just I always have this kind of kind of it takes away your artistic freedom I think yeah um I mean a lot of people it's probably easiest I think with with musicians because musicians are also kind of artistic types and you can get them to play around and do something crazy if you want so I I could actually think of I, I working with musicians is something I actually find rather interesting because um you can you can you can do something fun with that, but with with the more standard things like weddings, you have to sort of there has to be the token this shot and the token that shot and it has to be like that and, and that well, it's a little bit restricting and stressful for me. So um, I've at least figured out what it is that I don't want to do. Yeah, <laughs> is, that's half the battle, thing. right? Yeah, I mean, why do you think I work so much with myself? You know, there's no pressure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's me, right the camera and i always just go off somewhere in the middle of nowhere here in iceland and it's just very it's just my way of, of, of sort of detaching myself from the stress every day you know that's great. and just creating uh, definitely my, my sort of sort of therapy for me you definitely <laughs> have an entire uh you know sort of picturesque uh studio outdoors for you to work in some of your pictures are just amazing you know just the, the locations you have at your at your fingertips there i am i am so grateful for that. I, I never take it for granted how um, awesome Iceland is for that sort of thing. Also, just the um, uh, the relative. I mean, you you just you just feel safe here. Um, like for instance, every summer I, I I take off just 
in my car and drive off somewhere with a, maybe a tent. Maybe I just sleep in the car. And, you know, a bunch of food and camera gear and some props that I might use or might not, maybe some clothes, and just drive off. And then I spend like two or three days driving around Iceland. And, you know, I just stop the car at some point when I'm sleepy, sleep there, you know, and continue driving in the middle of the night. And then there's some sheep. Wow. <laughs> there's this, I mean, and there's just nobody bothering you and there's no danger and nobody's going to come and kill you. And it's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I'm so, I feel extremely fortunate, basically, to have been born here Um and it's funny that I didn't realize this until I became a photographer because I'd been taking it completely for granted. Yeah, you just so, don't um, see it. You just drive by you and don't. you don't even look, right? Now you're looking. Uh-huh. And and it's just uh, because it really is a rather unique situation. I don't think there are only like a handful of places in the world where you can do this sort of thing. I mean, just to see a single you know young woman traveling alone just kind of – it can be dangerous, basically, I think. Yeah. Else. <laughs> yeah, that's very so true. So that's something I, I really I – really, you know, have, have made the most of definitely. So what like I was saying, um, sorry, go ahead. I was like, I was going to say like, like I was saying earlier about the um, summers here when the, when, the, when there's this constant daylight and um, it's, it's not like normal daylight. It's this kind of has this really soft quality to it because the sun is actually under the horizon, but you know, it doesn't quite set. And, and you have this, it's like in a dream and, and, and that, that's sort of thing. You don't, you don't get that anywhere else either. So really really start start noticing these things when you when you're always seeing it through a camera <clears throat> right yeah i'm done <laughs> <laughs> you, may, you may continue now <laughs> okay so that was rebecca uh next week we're going to have the second part of that very interesting interview so you can look at this one as sort of like a cliffhanger you can get the rest of the story on rebecca and i think in the second half she actually tells us how to pronounce her last name which if you want to learn if you want to see more about her and actually see why i'm not pronouncing her last name just google rebecca r-e-b-e-k-k-a and Flickr, and uh you'll see uh, a bunch of links to her she's actually on wikipedia as well so if you want to dive in there and learn more about her and with that we're on to listener questions uh this first question up is really interesting it's our nature uh or nature photography and hunting similar so, Steve Simon. <laughs> I want to know. Let me let me read the question to you. It says, "Hello Twip, I'm a portrait photographer, but I'm also an avid hunter. I'm wondering about the similarities between the two. You guys talk about technique, but you rarely mention position in landscape photography. Um, hmm. are you what? Are you camoed up? Do you employ dressed do you what? Do you employ distressed animal calls? I need to know yada yada yada. So, what do you, know, what do you do? Yeah, because you're on the aperture nature thing. Yeah, you have learned all the things there is to know about nature photography. Exactly. Well, you know, there's nature photography, and then there's wildlife photography. And, and of course, the two, you know, are often very different. Mm-hmm. The only real wildlife we came across uh, on in Yosemite were, were some, I think they call them deer. I'm not sure the technical name. <laughs> I'm not a big, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't know all the different animal names. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think... The short answer to that gentleman would be uh, yes, there are probably a lot of very similarities because, you know, as a hunter, you obviously have to, um, you know, not scare away uh, that which you're trying to um, get within, uh, you know, scope range of, I suppose. And I think it's very similar in photography. Um, You have to be very patient and wait it out and... uh, and uh, I think there there probably are a lot of very similarities. So if this gentleman wants to put away his 
rifle and pick up a camera, I think he would probably have a lot more success than someone who doesn't have his hunting experience and goes out into the wild to try and find some of these wild wild animals. I think they really do, you know, get camouflaged up, like the gentleman says. I mean, it, it makes sense. And I know that, you know, if Scott were here, he would talk about bird photography, where you can, you know, sequester yourself in the bird blind for hours and hours waiting for something to happen. So I think like a lot of areas of photography, patience will reward you eventually if you're willing to wait it out. And and I think that's what it takes uh, probably to be a hunter and it certainly does to, to do wildlife photography. Well, speaking of patience, another listener question is uh, about the inauguration. And uh, David Cronin wants to know, did anyone shoot film at the inauguration? Anybody that you guys, Aaron and, Aaron and Steve, I know you both were there. Anybody? Uh, I know you guys didn't, but do you know of anybody that shot that old stuff? I, I saw people around me with some older model film cameras and, and uh, um, you know, some of the little disposable, I guess, mail-in, yellow, green, you know, uh, film cameras as well. They weren't the, the digital uh, disposables. But, Steve, was there any other press photographers that, that you know that were there that were, were shooting film? Uh, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, some of the old school photographers, and I, I'm not saying old school in any kind of negative way, <clears throat> you know, those that are familiar with their Leica cameras and shoot black and white, um, you know, continue to work in that way, and uh, it makes sense that they do. Um, what I found interesting was uh, there were serious photographers, for example, uh, using their iPhone to make images, uh, a former student of mine. Uh, Donald Weber did a series. He's he's part of the Seven Group, part of the the Seven Network of photographers, and he did a series on the paraphernalia uh, that were attached to the inaugur- inauguration. Shot exclusively with his iPhone, and he started to do some very serious uh, imagery with his iPhone, and it certainly gives you an interesting quality to it. So, I think that uh, yeah, there there still are a lot of people uh, pursuing um, things other than traditional digital photography. Okay. All right. I think we're going we're gonna to leave those listener questions right there for now since this, this uh, podcast is running a little bit long because of the interview. I know I was lengthy in the interview. But, uh, but it's good. It's a good interview. And, uh, you know, you're lucky we didn't stick the whole hour long of the interview into this podcast. So. Do TWIP listeners have to pay extra for longer podcasts? That's what I'm saying. They don't. And there, there are two terabyte drives out there now. <laughs> they can install, <laughs> store the extra bits we're shoving down the line. So, so coming up next week, uh, we're going to have uh, the second half of that interview with Rebecca, which is riveting. I got to say it's riveting. She's, uh, she's amazing. And uh, in the interim, between this show and the next show, I would suggest heading over to her Flickr stream. Or better yet, look in the, look in the, uh, the show notes for her blog. And uh, as per the interview, she says that uh, she'd much rather people go there because that's a more refined selection of the images that she wants people to see. And um, she actually has some posts up there about how to be successful on Flickr and all that good stuff. So it's a better, to, better experience for Rebecca at her blog. But you can also see her stuff on Flickr as well. And uh, we've got one last tip of the week here. Uh, this is from a listener. And uh, I, wanna, <laughs> I won't let Aaron do this one because I keep getting this name wrong. And I'm not sure if I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right you're, to you're, this day. So I'm going to let Aaron, Aaron do it because Aaron has immaculate Aaron. diction. <laughs> <laughs> about that Aaron. immaculate diction wasn't that like a, a movie I, or <laughs> had to be the show where I ran into the word crepuscular too but anyway um, listener uh, John P 
Uh, I don't have a last name here. Just John P. provided this. Uh, it comes from our debates in past episodes of the pronunciation of the Japanese word, uh, essentially meaning uh, blurry, or I guess pleasantly blurry. Um, pronunciation of it, he says, is bokeh, um, with the W and bow being nearly silent. So uh, it's definitely not pronounced bouquet. Um, doesn't rhyme with poke, doesn't rhyme with boca. Well, I've been saying boca, so I guess that's where I went off the rails with that. So here goes my excellent diction, as you said. But uh, the meaning and pronunciation of it is apparently bouquet. And uh, blurry is the boke part of it, of the word, according to him. Nice. So uh, just and, throwing uh, that out there for folks. Maybe we can put will be, end to this debate. Stu Mashiewicz will be uh, so happy to hear that we've corrected that, hopefully, and ended the debate, hopefully, because... Uh, I think it drives him crazy every time we say Boca. Well, I hope John P. is correct. <laughs> I think it is. It, we're, we're, we're we've had this discussion. I think we've had this discussion about. in the back. And, you know, it is based on this Japanese term, and that is the pronunciation of the term. So it would be the most likely, except that, you know, you could say that the, you know, the Americanized version is Boca. I'm guessing for the next 200 years, people are going to be saying Boca. You know what okay. I'm going to say from now on? Why don't we ask somebody from Japan? I'm just going to say Blurry. <laughs> I like it when it's blurry in it's the back. It's just blurry, out of focus, soft. I've been saying soft up until recently. You, know, you got to be <laughs> until all, you realize there was a technical term. There's for something it. cool sounding that I could but say. That, that's the other debate, though, is that the word carries more meaning than just blurry or soft. What about blurry and soft together? Mm, that's kind of you know. It's mm. well, what people argue about is different lenses having different uh, bokeh, you know, properties, some, some being better than others, you know, I guess it's all relative, but I think, I think from my perspective, if you're down to that nuance of trying to describe blurry versus soft, you should, you should just get out and shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Just just go take some pictures and look at them. Don't be thinking about the technical terms behind it. Um, well, that's it for the show. Let's, uh, let's just leave it and find out where people can find each of us. Alex, I'm on Twitter's. I was going to call you Alan again, but I decided not to. Thanks. I really appreciate that. It makes me feel a lot better. Alan Linden? I feel so much more important when you don't call me Alan. <laughs> As I'm uh, sitting in your studio saying your name wrong. Yeah, it's only that we've known each other for five years. Yeah, I know. Um, the, uh, I'm uh, Alex Lindsay uh, on the Twitters, and, uh, and I've broken down, actually, and uh, I joined the Facebook you're on Facebook now. Yeah, same name. Wait, I did not see a friend request from you come through. I didn't see you yet. <laughs> it's, mostly been, it's mostly been whatever the thing asked me. I, I'm learning how to use it. I don't even know how to search for people yet. You know you can it tie your says, Twitter to Facebook so you don't have to update your status. On oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if the people in my Facebook would like to watch what I say on Twitter. It's, I don't know. They're, they're just completely different people, aren't they? It is. It's a completely different group. I, don't, I think that actually 80% of the people who... Who have friended me? So mostly, I just turned Facebook on and I just said yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah. So that's that's what I've done so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I've uh, I've kind of begun the process. So if you want to be a friend of Alec Lindsay on Facebook, jump in now before he realizes that, that it's he a bad be idea. Accepting everybody. <laughs> 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 well, I asked. Well, I asked the expert. I asked Justine, and she just says, "Oh, I just friend everybody." Wow. But then she's already. I mean, do you guys? Do you guys think seriously though, as photographers, maybe wanting to find more of an audience, that you should really be doing all of these things like Twitter, Facebook, MySpace? You I should have really to admit have... that I, I I begrudgingly do each one of them. So unless I really see a use, the real reason that I got into Facebook was because my daughter kept on ah. uh, pushing me at it, and mm. she's she um, 
is a Facebook. She she did warn me that Facebook was where we could talk. She said, but no one no one my age really uses Facebook. You know, she said it's all about MySpace. <laughs> so she was just kind of like, she, oh, she, no one her age. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She was okay. like, but but this is a place that I you know that I go that you would go to. You know, she she she, she doesn't really see me cool enough to actually use MySpace. Wow. You know, it was it was yeah. just kind of she was just giving giving me giving me something Dad can can get his head around. You don't want to be yeah. on MySpace, Alex. Yeah. No, your your space would be plaid, probably, which probably may not work, you know. I don't know how to change it yet. That's just, that's too <laughs> complex. She was doing all this, she, she's like editing her MySpace page with all the Steeler stuff and Ooh. doing all this crazy stuff. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know how to add friends yet. Yeah. <laughs> no. So no. anyway. So, so your, what's your, what's your name on Facebook? It's just Alex Lindsay. Alex Lindsay. Cool. And yeah, on the yeah. Twitters, it's Alex Oh, I, I hate the Twitters. I hate. Them. I love that. I'm going to take that. I, I love. I love that. it when you can find the Twitters on the internets. <laughs> <laughs> In the Googles. Oh, oh, mm. You're killing me, uh, Aaron. <laughs> where, where can people catch up with you? On the Twitters as well. <laughs> I'm half press. H a l f p r e s s, and on my blog at halfpress.com. Excellent. And Mr. Simon. Well, you can Twitter me. I can't believe that I'm coming up on two thousand children i mean followers it's it's amazing that uh you're gonna have to have like a fireside on. chat with steve steve simon hello children steve just lost it's a thousand exciting although you know i mean it's you know nowhere near the stratosphere of the the alex Lindsay's and the you know i think he's got eight million followers but mm-hmm. uh it's it's pretty exciting and i'm i'm enjoying it i'm learning a lot from it it's it's been a great experience i wish you guys had told me about it sooner <laughs> <laughs> so you can find so how's, that, how's that how's that audible how's that audible.com uh going for you Steve? well and and the, you know audible i downloaded my first book uh, about a month ago how's it sound i i haven't actually listened to it yet but i'm looking forward to listening to it at some time really soon it's uh, outliers by uh, malcolm gladwell and there's some some interesting ideas that he has that will probably be outdated by the time I start listening to it. But no, I, I hope to uh, listen to it uh, sometime in the near future. And uh, so anyway, Twitter slash Steve Simon, you'll find me. And um, I'm going to be updating my website soon, so stevesimonphoto.com, maybe a, a week or two away. And lastly, uh, I'm doing one of these workshops, the Nikon Mentor Series in Oregon, June 4th to 7th. And that's uh, popphoto.com slash mentor, I think. And you'll see it there. Excellent. And if, if you're looking for me, you can find me at frederickvan.com or on Twitter, not the Twitters, Twitter at Frederick Van. And I'm also on Facebook. And hopefully I'll be a friend of Alex Lindsay soon. But I don't know if I rate that cool not yet. Likely. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, you know, here's the deal is is that is that I'm fine with it as soon as uh, you stop calling me Alan. I said Alex <laughs> Lindsay. <laughs> I'm sure okay. Alan Lindsay would be your friend, Fred. It's okay. Oh, I'll, I'll create a new account, Alan Lindsay, and then, and then I'll friend you. Alan, you should totally do that. <laughs> Alan Lindsay is your friend, but Alex gives you the nose. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yes, I am. Get over it. You know, you know we said we were going to reduce the jocularity. We're at the end of the show. We're I, don't, at the end of I, don't the show. I don't think we did a very but good job what? all the way through. We, we're just going to we, edit all that out. We diluted the jocularity with the insertion of Rebecca into this, and that was a very serious interview. Yes, and I think what we should do is we should edit out every place that I'm not talking like um, this. Yeah, and with that, let's take that lens cap off. That's it. <laughs> now, what noise is that? <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.